Welcome to Be The Church Podcast with your hosts, Chad and Melissa McBean, where we discuss a variety of topics relative to the active Christian life as we work to submit our lives to become more like Jesus each day. Today we share one of our bonus series episodes from our show, Latent Treasures. These shows are filled with incredible guests to inspire you and encourage you throughout the week. Inspired by a quote from C.S. Lewis, this show seeks to highlight people who live their faith out in ways that are somewhat discreet. But make no mistake, the impact that they are making in the lives of those they touch is anything but latent or discreet. Our hope is that this series will engage you, intrigue you, challenge you, grow you, and gives you a chance to interact with us in your own journey of life in a way that may ultimately help draw you nearer to the God who created you. If you enjoyed this show, please like it, share it, and even subscribe to it so you can be alerted to future episodes when they're released. In this episode, we continue our chat with Talitha Phillips, discussing her journey and the beautiful work that Claris Health is doing throughout Los Angeles. She shares more than a few really important thoughts, including ideas about perseverance, how she handles and gets through the difficult seasons, seasons that sometimes even make her contemplate retirement, ideas about the nature of hope and where its seeds are planted and tend to grow, thoughts about thankfulness, service, and more. We encourage your feedback as always as you hear our show, and more important to us than even your likes or subscribing so that you can get new show alerts is our hope that you would be moved to share how these shows are impacting your life or how a guest really touched you. We know they love to hear that the time they invest with us has meaning, so please feel welcome to reach out to us via our website at bethechurch.org and let us know how the podcast is impacting you. That being said, Please enjoy the second half of our conversation with Talitha. Talk about the 19 years. Um, I guess start from a high level, maybe, of, of how it's it's matured, um, how you decided to go from a staff of, you know, and the board helped, obviously, um, you know, a staff of two part-time people and as your donor base grew and your revenue grew, how you could expand services. And were there ever times where um, you forced an expansion because you just knew that the need that you were seeing was so massive that you just had to push for it and kept fighting for it? Or, or is it generally organic? Um, paint that picture a little bit. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, so I, I'm a, I mean, I'm definitely like a go-getter. I like challenges, um, but I'm not. I, I'm not a fundraiser per se. So it's been. I I hate that part of my job. It's the most uncomfortable. Um, but what I love to do is tell stories and and build relationships. And so there was a really amazing part of our, our, the life cycle of Claris, where we were able to get a lot of training from an organization called Mission Increase Foundation. And their whole goal was this, what's called transformational fundraising versus transactional. So instead of the auctions where it's like, here's my money, um, you know, I'll give you my money now give me my item. It's this 
you being involved with Claris should help transform you as well. And so Claris becomes more of the stage, not the microphone telling you what you should do. And, and I found so much comfort in that. Um, and it changed how we do our fundraising events, our model for our gala changed. And I can't really take credit for it, except to say that it, it really, like, I just had a lot of peace when I heard that and that that's something I can do and be involved in the whole, like, you know, 50 people are going to be on the street. If you don't give us money, that never worked. First of all, it doesn't work for me because people would be like, okay, bye. But also I don't, that scarcity mentality, I don't think is biblical. I no. don't yeah. think it's good. And so I would rather tell you the story. And then if God moves on your heart to give, then great. And if he doesn't, then I have to trust him that there will be somebody else. So that's been uh, that was a, an incredible shift. And the more we told the story, the more people said, wait, I, I agree. And I think too, a, sort of a, a beautiful thing in that is that regardless of how you view issues, there's so much common ground that we all have. And I think a lot of times people are like, no, I'm. Uh, what box are you in? And we just sort of have refused to let people put us in a box because the people we serve aren't in a box and they're not all the same. And so if we can just focus on sharing their stories and what's happening in their life and helping our donors realize like we're there for one snippet of somebody's life. Um, and it's an important season, but it's not their whole life. And so to label somebody or to sort of predict the future of their life is also not healthy. And so telling these honest and accurate stories without a bow being tied on every single one of them helps people realize and also helps you see yourself in their stories. I mean, so many times, like our last gala, we, we share stories of men and stories of, you know, all these different stories. Um, and some of them are tragic and some of them are victorious and, and they're all important. And so, um, but to answer your question, was there ever a time where we, I pushed something or we forced something? Yes. Um, when we were first moving into South LA, we knew the Crenshaw district. We like defined the area. We were like, that's where we need to go. And then we, I hired this woman and, you know, brought her on. And then we had a board meeting and the board said, we don't have the money to do this. Like you just, we just haven't raised any money. And the weight of, I already promised this person a job and we know we're supposed to go there. I just couldn't handle it. And I just remember saying, oh no, we will be, we will be going there. <laughs> I will have to find a way to make this work. And the most uncomfortable thing, I had to get on the phone and I called people and just said, hey, we really want to do this. And we're $50,000 short. And I don't even remember how it all came together, but somehow the money came together and we were able to move forward. And and I didn't ever regret it. I mean, I, I really do think it probably was a purposeful getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and there have been other times where we've had to make really hard decisions. I mean, I don't know, you know, we're in a tough season right now of what's yeah. going to happen in the aftermath of this pandemic. Um, and I would hate for anything to change, but I also know that we've, you know, we're doing a lot of incredible things during this season and, and pivoting in some ways, but it feels like these purposeful pivots because of the need in the city. Yeah, man, I, there's like 85 branches I want to drop off, jump off to at once. Um, so this is really hard. I might have to have you come back another time <laughs> because I, don't, I could keep you for four hours um, and I won't do that. Um, <laughs> but it, 
you were just recently in uh, another article that I had the joy of reading. Um, but one of the things you mentioned in the article, I think it was, was it Authority Magazine or something like that? Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there was one. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, and I, I just want to touch on this because, again, I like seeing that whole story. And not everything is always moving forward. Sometimes there's setbacks and there's times you have to pivot and maybe even back down a little bit. And then, you know, kind of like playing soccer, sometimes you have to pass the ball backwards to be able to, you know, advance forward some more. There were a couple times, or there was a, a comment you made in the article about there were times that you just wanted to quit. Um, it, not that you have to pick any particular one of those experiences, but um, I, I think that's a an important part of your journey that people should understand as well, right? Like what types of events caused that? Was it, you know, that the Crenshaw experience of trying to build that out? Was it... You know, what, what causes that and what gets you through it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there have been seasons that have been really hard internally and externally. So internally, you know, there have been seasons where we've had a lot of turnover or um, funding has been hard or um, we've had a lot of really, you know, tough client cases. I mean, there, you know, we've had families where one of their child, their kids passed away and, you know, we've planned funerals and we've had seasons where, you know, somebody is, you know, on, you know, multiple pregnancies or they've lost their kids into foster care. You know, I've been a part of these seasons where after you just feel like it's overwhelming or this is just a drop in the Grand Canyon right? Like we're just one tiny drop. And can I keep doing this for one drop in the Grand Canyon, you know, and then, and then there's been external times where um, we've, you know, been attacked by people in the community, or, you know, others have, you know, these articles have come out that are just full of, you know, lies about you, or you just feel like, gosh, we don't fit here and we don't fit here. And then as the leader, you know, they say it's lonely at the top and it really is, it really is lonely. It can be lonely. There's times that you as a leader go down for something that really wasn't necessarily your fault, um, but you're the face of the organization. And so I think there's just seasons of whether it's burnout or exhaustion or, um, just sadness, you know, for things or, or just even personally going through things. There's been seasons where my family has gone through really hard things, but I still have to get up and lead an organization every day. And um, I have this sort of prayer at the beginning of every year. And my prayer has always been, God, please don't let me stay one day too long. Um, because I have met people on my journey. Who I feel like your season, your season may have been up a little while ago and you, you know, and then you get to the point where it's like you retire, but you retire bitter or you retire too tired. And I've always just prayed that. So every January, well, actually it's usually every October because that's when our gala is. So I wake up the morning after the gala and I'm like, was that the last one I had to plan? And then, you know, every year, like, am I done? Am I done? Uh, But I will say as, as hard as those times are, there are also those life-giving times of the client that walks in and says, did you know that because of this, I'm here? Or the client who you've worked with for five, six, seven years, and then there's a breakthrough. Or, you know, in those moments, like 
you can't replace that. And the yeah. fact that I go to work every day and know that the people that I'm managing and that I'm working with and that I'm serving with are making such a difference in this world like that. I can't imagine working anywhere else and just love, love that aspect so much. So it is this balance. Um, and I don't know, I never would have imagined that I'd still be here. Uh, but I am. I am. And you're, <laughs> and you're accomplishing all this with a, a full like family life as well, right? Tell us a little bit about that background. Yeah, so I have um, two kiddos. Um, I have a biological daughter that's 12 and then a um, an adopted a daughter that was adopted and she's eight. So it, it's, I mean, I, ne- I didn't even realize this until one day somebody said to me, you know, you've come full circle. Like you've basically experienced all, every possible choice you've been a part of. And it's, it is so interesting. And I, as a doula, I had been a doula for several adoption situations where I was there with the birth mom. And I remember that moment of when she would hand the baby over to the adoptive family. And I was like, you can't do this. Like you can't give them this baby. And, you know, you, and just grieving with birth moms and then to be on the other side of that and to be the one that put a baby in my car while the birth mom sat in a wheelchair and drove away with her baby and just to eyes of that and understanding that adoption is just another form. There's so much loss and grief. And I think sometimes, especially I would say in the Christian community, they paint adoption as like the, the best and the most sacrificial of the options and forget that that is at the expense of a loss to an individual. And so our adoption is very open. We see our birth mom a lot. She lives in Orange County and it's been it's been neat. And it's also been interesting to see other people have to sort of follow along that journey and how uncomfortable and it raises these great questions. Yeah. You know, so we dialogue. had like really, really sweet um, opportunities. So yeah, so that's a little bit about our life right now and yeah, very full. Yeah, for sure. Goodness awesome. gracious. That's um, well, COVID, COVID school, whatever. I think you said that earlier. Like we're also in COVID school. So we're all teachers as well. And yeah, pastors and whatever else we're doing right now. As if life isn't hard enough, right? Um, last fall, you guys launched your mobile unit. And tell us a little bit about what, what drove that. What were the things that you were seeing that particularly made that um, something that was, you know, you knew was going to fit the need. Um, and how's that been going? You know, the mobile is, is such a good example of just sort of how Claris sees the need and then is willing to address it. And that it, it actually started from a board member of a housing project in South LA asked if we would be willing to go in and do health screenings. It was a community that has a lot of mistrust of the medical community transportation issues. And he had been trying to get some different medical organizations to go in, but they were too afraid to send um, people into the community. And somebody actually said to them, oh, you should call Clarice. (laughs) They're not afraid they do anything. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but we actually, you know, looked at it and really prayed about it. Sorry. Um, And 
in the process of that, you know, our medical team said, yes, like we're willing to go. And so we started just going in and doing health screenings and we would set up a little table and behind a screen. And it was just this very makeshift thing. And then quickly discovered, oh my gosh, there's so much need and we could do so much more in this community. And so somebody years ago, everyone started launching these mobile clinics. And I remember thinking, there's no way I'm never doing that. And there's really no need. So we did a feasibility study years ago and, and proved there's really no need for this. And then when this happened in these housing projects said, can you come and can you do more services? And the health department said, you can't do anything more without being in an actual clinic. We redid the feasibility study and we had 42 locations that said, if you got a mobile clinic, we would want your services. And so that was in, um, I think 2018. And we announced in 2018 that we were gonna move forward. And by 2019, a year later, we had raised the money, built the mobile, and started launching the services. And we did it in a way that addresses more than just the pregnancy services that we have. So we do these general health screenings, STD testing, pregnancy services, um, early prenatal care. And then the, the greatest thing about the mobile is that the case management that can happen. So people are afraid to go to the doctor, but they'll go into a mobile clinic. And then we're able to transfer them and bring them to a clinic that can offer ongoing care. Um, so that's been really great. And, and then does, during... does, that, does that help nurture the trust for those people who were, you know, were unwilling, you know, to walk into a, a brick and mortar clinic? Um, does having the experience with you as the introduction to a referral help a lot? Um, definitely. I mean, it takes a lot of coaching from our team. Um, often it's because somebody comes to us, hold on, sorry, dog got a ball and started playing ball. Um, the, if you could edit that out, but sorry about it's real it's life. gotta stay. This is real. Forgot about the dog. The dog's still here. Um, so, um, a lot of times it's because somebody will come to us and we'll test, say they have really, really high blood pressure and our team is able to sort of present to them, this is why you really need to go to the hospital or you really need to be seen. And so they would never have just gone to the hospital, but because we're able to convince them or offer to help with transportation or whatever it is, they're willing to do that. So that's been, that's been really great. And the casework has been amazing. A lot of times, you know, if somebody is experiencing homelessness and they come to us and we're able to help them find, you know, housing through that, that or we We've had a lot of people that are living in children. And so being able to do that, or we transfer them to our clinics. So if somebody comes to us and she finds out she's pregnant, we're able to immediately get her into one of our clinics for ongoing care and parenting classes or whatever it is that she needs, diapers, wipes. And then during COVID, so this mobile clinic is this 30 foot vehicle. And it was so neat because we were able to build it to exactly what, what we needed. And it has a reception, like a waiting area, counseling room, lab and exam room. And during when the pandemic hit, and you know, at first we were like, we need to push pause on medical services until we can figure out how to handle that. We were able to immediately just, we discovered there's massive needs in the community for food and diapers and wipes and all those things that we take for granted or, or could take for granted. But we have this 30 foot unit that can go anywhere. And so we were like, we'll just become a food distribution vehicle and we'll just raise, get diapers and wipes. And so it's been incredible. We've just been going into all these neighborhoods in the city and we pack it full of, you know, these foods and 
partnering with, we partner with an organization that's getting fresh produce from the USDA. And then we're getting, you know, partnering with another organ, baby to baby that gives us diapers and wipes and formula and all these things and we can take it in. So it's been an, it's been, it's had this, like this purpose that we never even knew we would need. And yeah. the time is so incredible too, because in October we launched it, started doing medical services and then come March, we have never known that we needed this and couldn't have done it without that mobile really. And the mobile is this bright, beautiful vehicle that everyone sees. So we pull in and they know, yeah. oh, they're here, yeah. you know, they're here for us. So it's been really neat. That's, that's tremendous. This episode is sponsored by Royal CFO Services. Would you prefer to have the peace of mind that accounting experts and financial analysts are managing and maintaining your business's financials? Would you prefer to give the hours you spend on accounting back to your family and friends while resting confidently that your business finances are in excellent care? Royal CFO Services can allow you to do just that. By outsourcing your accounting and finance needs, you can improve your work-life balance, discover when to make your next big move to grow your business, and more. Royal specializes in businesses in the construction and real estate industry, agricultural industry, and the nonprofit sector. Visit them today at royalcfoservices.com to book a free consultation. You, you touched a little bit. I don't know if there's a whole lot more to, to describe, but your non-core um, services around, you know, pregnancy. Um, but like you said, you, you also help even after the fact or stay with and kind of continue to walk with those who, who need you to, but you also are involved in, um, the health services or screening needs of, like you said, the, uh, the man in the relationship or the siblings of, of those families. Can you go a little bit deeper into those kind of ancillary services? Yeah. So our, our general health screenings are open to anyone. So it's, you know, blood pressure, you know, nutrition, counseling, all of the, just the typical things that you would walk in for a physical, um, we can do blood work if we need to all of that. And then, you know, the STD testing is for men and women. And a lot of the population that's coming in for STD testing is also at risk for a potential future pregnancy. So we have that. And then we do a lot of prevention. So we're in schools and we talk about, you know, your sexual health and, sexual relational health, the media. And then we offer those services to anyone in a school, in the school that needs to be tested. Um, the other thing that I haven't talked about is we have, um, marriage and family therapy. So we have therapists that are there to walk through these relationships. I mean, if somebody chooses to parent and then they're in a relationship, how do you co-parent? How do you do? So we have therapy for that. We have therapy for teenagers who are struggling and just want to talk to somebody or the single mom, you know, so there's a lot of that. So it's looking at the physical, the emotional, the mental health component, and then the spiritual. We also do, you know, support groups for post-abortion, but also miscarriage. We work with an organization that does miscarriage support um, for adoption, for women who place, you know, just like it was so powerful for me to be in a room with other women who'd had abortions. It's the same for women who've chosen adoption to be in a room and in relationship with other birth moms is really powerful and, and necessary. Um, so that's yeah. some of it. 
Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big menu. I mean, <laughs> you think about it, that's that's amazing. So I know you'd never thought you'd still be here, um, but if you had a, a way to kind of summarize, um, looking back and talking to yourself when you were nineteen again, from where you are now, how would you encourage your nineteen-year-old self to get through that journey? Oh man. Um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about, um, my hero in my life, who was my grandfather. And what was it about him? And in, in so many ways, he was so opposite of me. Like he noticed the hummingbird and the tomato growing in the garden and just had such an appreciation of, he had such a hard life but you would never know that you would just see his faith and his, and his thankfulness. And the thing I said was, you know, he, he was not shaken by the circumstances or the world around him. And I think if I looked back at my 19 year old self, I would say, don't be shaken by what is to come. Don't let it, don't let it shake you to the point where you can't get back up. You know, and, and so I think that's one thing, because I think there are seasons where it's, it's really hard. I mean, it could be an event. I mean, I'm, I'm, I overanalyze things, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or what if we had done this, or did that person leave early because they were mad or did they leave early because their babysitter had, you know, sometimes you get caught in, in those, in those situations and just to not let those things shake you, but also to just realize that, um, you're never going to, you're never going to arrive. Like I'm never going to be the perfect leader. You know, we're constantly, you know, keep improving and keep trying to be better and learn from all your mistakes. And I would love to think that I have done that. I mean, that is one, you know, we've had really tough seasons and I don't forget them. You know, I remember the tough things we've been through and I've tried to be a better leader out of it, or I've tried to manage people better through mistakes um, constantly learning from mistakes. And I think that, I don't know that at 19, I would have, or 23 would have realized that in, in my role at Claris, but just in, as a 19 year old and just going through that abortion, I also don't think I would have ever known. I mean, I think I would have said to that girl, like, you don't know. I mean, I think of just the, the father forgive them for they know not what they do. Just the, the powerful words that Jesus said, I, I think I would have, I needed to hear that at 19 for, you know, not what you, because I thought I knew what I was doing, but deep down, you still don't really know what you're doing. You're trying to make a decision in isolation and alone and out of fear and out of shame and out of guilt. And then to the forgiveness comes in too of the, if I had, if somebody had sat me down at 19 and had said, what is it that you actually want to do? If I could, and I've said this, this is part of my counseling technique. If I could silence all the voices in your head, what do you want to do? I would have said, I want to have a baby. And I think that's where a lot of the, the shame came in for me is because I went against everything I actually wanted, you know? And if somebody would have said, why are you so terrified? Well, my dad's going to kill me or whatever. Well, can I help you with that? What if I go with you? You know, I think that there is so much power in that. And, and as a 19 year old kid, you just don't know that, you know, you think you're so much older. And so to give yourself grace, to not be shaken by the world, 
Um, and then to just know you're going to keep making mistakes and just learn from them and in humility, just keep moving forward. Yeah. I mean, this is probably difficult for you to do. I'm going to guess, but not entirely, I'm sure. But I mean, look at where you are, right? It didn't define you. You know, I'm not saying that the journey was fun or, you know, especially early on necessarily. Right. But to, to have accomplished what you've accomplished, to have been part of leading, and I know it's not just you, there's a board, you've got you know, a whole team, but to be the leader of an organization that has done what Claris does and have kept that not just on track and open, right, which is an accomplishment in and of itself because running a charitable organization is brutal, but to continue to grow it and move it forward and meet new needs, and I mean, that that's phenomenal. Frankly, it's phenomenal, and I'm sure your 19 and 23-year-old self would have, at that time, questioned if you were capable or if you were still defined by what you were seeing as a failure or a mistake, right? And um, I think this message in general, regardless of, of who's listening and what they might have in their past, that's something that's you know their scar that they think somehow defines them. It, it truly doesn't, and you're such an awesome example of that. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm sure you probably understand that as well <laughs> at this point in your life. Right. But, um, I'm not going to make you brag on yourself, but I'll do it for you. Um, you know, you've shown incredible resolve, incredible, like you said, humility and just that servant heart to keep just moving forward and knowing that it's not always going to be pretty or a straight line to success. Um, and like you said, you'll also never arrive, but just that's not the point. You know, I think the 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 script we're given of you know you've got to accomplish and reach this point or this apex um to feel like you finally made it is a bunch of garbage <laughs> that's just my opinion but um i don't think there is a top of the mountain i think we just keep going right but um wow what do you see the next five years of claris looking like oh man um you know i'm I'm so blessed in so many ways that I'm surrounded by a team that has an even bigger vision than I do. And I think one of the things that I, I love is that, you know, collectively, I think we've built this sort of comprehensive model and as the needs are growing, you know, Claris is growing. Um, but I think what I would love to see is this replicated in other parts of the country, because I don't think, you know, they say like, as what is it, as California goes, so goes the nation or whatever, you know, and what, you know, I, when I was in Oklahoma, I think years ago, I could have been like, well, it's the Bible belt. And, but now I talk to friends in Oklahoma and I think, oh, they need the clearest model as much as we need it because things are changing. Um, I, um, one little example before we end, we, a staff member came to me recently and said, you know, we, we teach court mandated parenting classes. And so anyone who's like lost their child were able to sort of help with reunification. And then we were asked to go into this women's prison and teach. And so I, I show up at a meeting and my staff is like, so, you know, we just want to tell you. Um, so we sort of created a family reunification program. So when you hear that in the meeting, don't be surprised, act like you knew what we were talking about. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, Oh yeah. So we named all these things that we're doing our family reunification program. And 
there was such this sweet moment in me of being so proud that I have this team that feels equipped enough to say, this is what we're doing. We're helping reunify families. We're not just preserving, we're reunifying and we're doing all these things. And I think if I look at the next five years to move into a season of seeing others adopt the model, what and Claris doesn't need the credit, but that people would, wherever they are, that they would see, we should be looking at the before, during, and after of all of these situations. And imagine how much our communities would change if we just said, look, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to laugh with you in joyful seasons, to celebrate with you, to cry with you, to heal with you, to grieve with you. Like what a difference that would make. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It could mean that we help launch other clarises. It could mean that we just say, here's a blue book. Um, read the white paper I wrote. I wrote a white paper on the model and love to share that. And why don't you, you know, think about in your community what you could do? Because I just think that it's it's about giving people hope. And I think we're coming out of a season. I mean, I, I'm so adamant that isolation is not good for anyone. And, you know, being alone and we don't know what's going on behind these closed doors. And I don't know what's going to happen when we fully open up again and we realize how the, the devastating impact in the hearts and the lives of those in our community. And we need to be prepared um, to move toward people and we need to start moving toward people now in whatever way we can. And so I think I wanted to see more of that. I think also a lot of government organizations or those dependent on government funding are going to lose a lot of potentially lose a lot of funding. And so it's time for others to step up and say, where can we fill in the gap? You know, how yeah. can we help rebuild our, the lives in our cities? Yeah. Um, or, yeah. Hurting. So, so you have a white paper? I do. That's I awesome. We will yeah. definitely, we'll link that and or upload it, whatever we need to do. I definitely want to make sure that's available. You, you speak to a very common thread that a number of our guests have spoken to relative to just getting up and filling gaps, right? And getting up and finding out where we can plug in whether that's with an existing organization, whether that's coming alongside and teaming with Claris, whether that's, you know, like you said, seeing that model, seeing that need in another location and, and reaching out and say, hey, I think we need that here. Is there a way for us to become equipped or knowledgeable enough to do that? Um, I never thought that this would necessarily be a common thread that I've heard literally every interview. <laughs> but that's really cool to hear again that... Um, that concept that is, is universally appropriate regardless of the, the topic or theme or, or need um, and how profoundly impactful that action is to s filling those gaps, right? Um, and not necessarily needing to know how or have all the answers answered before we start, just deciding, hey, I am here for something bigger than just me. Running my life, pursuing my goals is perfectly acceptable and welcome, obviously. But what if we add a little bit of effort and energy to what can we do in addition? Um, it almost blows my mind when I meet people who, I understand we're busy and everything, right? But when I meet people who literally aren't involved in anything, <laughs> and that's not an insult, and maybe I'm, you know, just surrounded by a lot of people who are overly involved perhaps, but um, 
it, it's almost foreign to me. Like it would be amazing to con- conceptualize this idea of what if nobody was um, sitting on their duff, right? What if everybody was actively involved in pursuing something that they're passionate about and helping the world? I can only imagine how far that would go. Um, Is there a person still today who, you mentioned your grandfather, right? Who modeled or models and or keeps you on fire to keep moving forward? Um, Yes. There are, you know, there's a... there's quite a few. I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm in a couple of CEO groups where there's some others who are either in the same industry or in another industry that, you know, is similar where we're able to um, encourage each other. So on those days, if it feels like, if it feels lonely or feels like I'm the only one dealing with something, I have a, you know, somebody on speed dial that can help. And I think that's been really helpful. And I've seen leaders come and I've seen leaders go and I've watched, you know, some in great ways and some in tragic ways. And I think it's just encouraging to have that community of people to just say, look, this isn't hard working in, like you said, a charitable organization. It's emotion. It can be emotional. You know, we deal with really hard life situations. And so having people in this industry, but then also out so that I can step away sometimes and be like, I just want to go to dinner and not think about work or, you know, have friends that I can just hang out with. And so I think there is just that community. It's all about community. And uh, I have a great community now um, that helps with all of that. That's very good. Um, Where can people find you? We'll also put these in our show notes, but where can people find you and or Claris, uh, socials, websites, you want to? Yeah, so we're all, we're on social. So I think I'm Talitha J and Claris is just at Claris Health um, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Our website's just clarishealth.org. And, um, yeah, so the name I Talitha, I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> there's not that many, there's not that many of us. <laughs> no, so. That's a good thing. Easy to remember. Um, if you have one nugget of wisdom for anybody who might not ever get to hear from you again, that they can hold on to and kind of incorporate it into their uh, mindset for life. One nugget of wisdom from Talitha that would bless others if they lived by it. What's your nugget? You know, I, there's this quote that I, I was telling someone the other day, I think, thought I read it somewhere. And then they're like, I think you made it up, but it, so I don't know, this is either from Talitha or it's stolen. So don't sue me if it is, but it says, um, hope grows in the dark. And I feel like we live in a culture that likes to see the shiny finished product, but forgets that sometimes the most beautiful moments actually start in the dark. And if you think about the people in life, the people who I respect so much, my mentors, most of them have fallen really hard at some point in their life. And that's actually what makes them the most is seeing where they've been and where they are. 
And so whatever it is in your life to just not forget that the hope starts, it, it grows in the dark. And then yes, at some point, hopefully it's on this shiny display, but not disconnected from that little tiny seed of just a seed was planted and it started there. And I think we all have that moment in our life. If you can think like the worst moment of your life, but it was a turning point. Like where was that little turning point? And don't be afraid to share that because somebody needs to hear that moment. Um, and I know most, most people, I have a pastor mentor friend of mine that um, has imparted so much wisdom and it was all from all his failures. He had a, he had them laminated. These are the things that I struggle with. Um, and I think of that every day. What, where is my laminated list of failures that I need to overcome? What are the things that I'm predestined to do? Um, and, and just, you know, whether it's leading from that place or parenting from that place or whatever it is, just remember, especially with kids. I mean, I think my, my girls don't know my story yet. You know, they're too young, but that will be the hardest conversation I ever have. And yet I pray that through seeing their mom's mistakes, they will know that no matter what they go through in life, that they're not defined by that. I will always love them and hope that they can come to me if they need me. And so that's where. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's a great, that's a great piece of wisdom. Um, is, is there anything else that, um, people should know about your journey? I mean, um, Maybe I'll ask a little bit about, do you know about the like founding till your arrival? Do you know what that was like? And that's partly almost my own question for me more than anything, because, you know, be the church as a young organization. And like you said, 44 years ago, it started 19 later, you came in. So what is that? 24 years of 25 years of time yeah. between founding and your arrival and their budget 25 years later was 90,000, <laughs> right? So... I know. And now it's one. So our budget now is one about 1.7 million. So um, I always tell the person that hired me, I was like, I was an expensive hire. I mean, if you look at it, I'm like a $1.7 million. Uh, you know, it, so the founder is was a woman named Loretta, and she just passed away a couple of years ago. She lived to be in her late 90s. And she was this sweetest woman. And I um, had the, the privilege of interviewing her and, and chatting with her a couple of times. There've only been four directors in 44 years. Wow! So each director had quite a tenure. And Loretta told me, you know, when they first founded the organization, they thought it was going to be a temporary organization. And they thought it was right around the time that, um, that the, all the abortion laws passed. And they thought, gosh, we need to be a place to so women can, you know, ask questions and we can help educate them, but it's probably not going to be needed for very long. And then here we are. And another sort of sweet thing is they had a doctor that um, was the very first doctor way back in the day. He was with us for 40 years. So he just about four years ago um, retired from Claris and then he just officially retired from being an OBGYN. So the history is rich, but simple. And, you know, looking back, you know, they founded it as a community-based organization because their primary goal was to serve the community and to be a place. And so I love that even though 
there's been a lot of changes at, at the heart. It was giving people information, giving them sort of the time and the space to process, loving them the way that God would want us to love them and just walking through life with them. And I still know the two directors before me were still in communication frequently. And so it also was just these beautiful handoffs of, you know, it went from Loretta to Susan and Susan to Christy and Christy to me. And so it's great. And each person sort of had a different sort of calling in what it was that they were supposed to do. And when they hired me, they, they had said, we really know we need to become a licensed medical clinic, which means we need to move. So they gave me sort of marching orders. And then, you know, we just sort of grew um, from there. So yeah, I mean, it's been really big steps. I mean, it went, I think from becoming a clinic added quite a few zeros to the budget and then the another office and then another office and then all these programs. And, but, you know, we still, I mean, even at 1.7 million, I mean, other organizations that do, you know, similar things have much higher budgets in Los Angeles. So we're, we're still considered somewhat small for what we do. Yeah. But no, but that's a tremendous journey though. Wow. That's really beautiful. Well, I definitely thank you for your time and, Again, I, I have a whole lot more questions that I'll just reserve for another time where we can fit into your, your busy schedule. But um, I'm, I'm fortunate to know and have been exposed to you a long time ago and to have gotten to see Claire's health um, on that journey as well. So I appreciate your time so much and thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. And um, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on and, and dive a little bit more uh, deeply into some of the 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 branches of the conversation that we didn't have a chance to get into today but um thank you for being such an amazing example for um people who you serve one right um your daughters are gonna man talk about just an amazing resource that they're gonna have as they they go through the transition into young adulthood and into adulthood um and just you know you know, I know the circle of friends that you keep are blessed by you as well. And hopefully our listeners are getting a taste and flavor of that. But um, I love the fact that you've just allowed the, the journey to unfold before you and trust in, in your faith and, um, and see it create such a beautiful um, story along the way. And I have no doubt it'll continue to be uh, amazing for sure. We hope you have been blessed by Talitha's story. It's wonderful to see how one of her most complicated and difficult times in life has been used in such powerful ways to impact and help others. I also love how she gently reminds us that every choice around childbirth is a complicated one. That adoption itself, as wonderful as it is, also has a story of loss on the other side of that equation. In general, I think her time with us can help us all view these sensitive situations with a lot more empathy and understanding. We can also see how doing so can lead to really amazing relationships and opportunities to stand in gaps for our neighbors. I certainly won't forget her observation that hope grows in the dark. 
We are all quite thankful for Talitha being willing to share very openly and candidly her very personal story. If you're listening and feel like you need somewhere to turn in order to face your own situation, please reach out to us. We can connect you to local resources near you or even to Talitha and Claris as a starting point. Please know that you don't have to face any decisions alone and that there are many people who love and care about you and want to support you through this journey. Talitha's information can be found in our show notes on bethechurch.org. We thank you for listening in and look forward to seeing you again next time. Until then, peace be with you, and we continue to pray. Maranatha, Father.